Hi there, um, my name is Chris, um, and if we've not met before, well, we have now. There you go. Um, uh, what I'd like to do is look at John chapter 15 with you, uh, the passage you just had read, and it'd be really helpful uh, for you to have it open. Uh, I say that because I've got it in front of me, but you need it in front of you. Um, I want to talk about a passage which I don't think I've ever heard used when we do um, one of those services or one of those rallies or meetings when you call people to come to faith in Jesus. This is not that passage. This is one of those passages that says, you know what, people are going to hate you. Now, that's a hard one if if you're actually saying, so come to Jesus because they're going to hate you. Everyone's going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. And if you read on, they're they're probably going to kill you. But come to Jesus. And yeah, it doesn't, it's, it's a hard one to sell like that. And yet, here it is, black and white, right in front of us. So we need to, I think we, it, there's a real encouragement that I got um, from preparing from this passage as I dug into it. I hope that part of that encouragement oozes onto you and that you're encouraged by it also. So let me pray and we'll turn and give our attention to John chapter 15, the back end of John chapter 15. When the advocate comes, said Jesus, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. What we have not, give us. For we are so needy. Amen. Actually, that prayer, I didn't make that up. Um, I've heard that before and, and the reason I wanted to pray it with you is because it is so true. We, we really do need God and we need to be reminded of his word. We need to be reminded of his promises. We need, we need to remind each other when we gather like this, not only of how friendly we can be and how nice it is to be together, but of how important God is and how precious his words to us are. And how true they are. Because, well, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you really are going to um, sing the songs, those words with meaning that we've sung already, then you need to understand it's going to be tough. And we live in a world where actually we want to, we want to belong. We're, we're born with that bias. We're born into families and we're born into relationships. Uh, and we actually feel better when we belong with others. Uh, we behave like others so that they'll like us and, and so that um, we can belong. Uh, we dress like others so that people will go, oh, nice outfit, I like what you're wearing. Uh, not so much with the guys, but nice outfit, like what you're wearing, and you can feel like you belong. Uh, that, that really has an impact when you wear a uniform. Um, I, I worked for a company and every, just before I started, the company decided that everybody in the organisation, from the CEO right the way through, everybody was going to wear a uniform. And so on my first day at work, they, I had to dress up in a uniform. I hadn't worn a uniform since school. 
And that was a long time ago. And I felt so weird putting a uniform on. And I put it on in the morning and my kids laughed at me. And then I got in the car and I felt really silly. And then I drove to work, drove to the office, went in, sat down at a table where everybody was wearing the uniform and I felt so good. <laughs> I felt like I belonged. It was a really weird feeling. It really stuck with me. And it especially stuck with me because when I left that meeting, I had to go to another meeting in the city where no one was wearing a uniform. They're all in business suits. And I walked in with my uniform. I was like screaming the name of the company. And I felt so bad, so weird. I just wanted to take it off. Mind you, that would have been a worse look. So I left the uniform on. We, are, we, are, we all have that bias. We want to belong. We want to fit in. We don't want to stand out. Well, we do, but for the right things, you know? Not, you don't want to be too different, which is why it is really hard if you're a person who's decided to be a Christ follower, to be a disciple of Jesus. It's going to be hard because there are times when we have to be different. We will have to be different. We, we will have to say things that are different to what the rest of the world is saying. We'll have to, we'll have to live in ways that are different to the way everybody else is living. And everybody else will be saying, but this is sensible and normal and you are being intolerant and irrational and we'll be going, yeah. And they'll hate us for it. Actually, have you noticed how Christians and Christian ideas and Christian values and Christian teaching is actually becoming less okay in Australian society? Have you noticed that? I'm getting old, so I've got a bigger picture uh, to draw my images from. But I've noticed a definite shift, particularly in the last five years. Now, we are not in Sri Lanka. We, we are not in China. We're not, we're not experiencing the kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters in those places are. But I've just noticed a, a, a shift which is not subtle anymore so that our voice is not heard. And especially if we use Jesus' words, they are really offensive. Ask Israel for Lau. It's just happening slowly, but it's happening. And so I want to praise God for verse 26. Have you got it open? If you haven't, you won't know what I'm talking about. But if you have, you'll see that right there in verse 26, Jesus promises to send the advocate, the counsellor, the helper. The word in Greek means, means literally the one who comes alongside. And that's why in different translations of our English Bibles, the word is translated in different ways. Sometimes it's the helper, sometimes it's the counsellor, sometimes it's the advocate, because the translators are trying to get an English word to describe this person who would come and stand with you, speak for you, speak to you, comfort you, help you, guide you, teach you, remind you. All of those things are in the Greek word, but English, you'd have to write another chapter to fill it in, really. Um. But that's the one that Jesus promises. He's going to come alongside. He's going to come from the Father. He's going to be instructed by Jesus. He does what Jesus says. You notice that in the verse? We won't get caught in too much theology, but that's a really interesting thing, that the Spirit comes at Jesus' command to come alongside us, to whisper in our ears, to speak to us in comforting words, to teach us, to correct us, uh, to sustain us. And you know how he does it? Look at the end of verse 26. 
It's really not complicated. He does it by testifying about me, says Jesus. The way he's going to comfort, teach, correct, sustain, encourage, speak on my behalf, protect me, is he is going to come and he is going to speak to me about what Jesus did. He's going to explain to me what Jesus said. He's going to remind me of the words that Jesus gave. He's going to teach me to understand the commands that Jesus gave when he was here. That's how he's going to help me. That's how he's going to be my counsellor, my comforter, my aid. The one who comes beside me to help me is going to do it, uh, not by giving me a superpower, but how cool would that be if I could be an avenger? You know, you notice in the Avengers there are no bishops. There's got to be a space, a bishop space in the Avengers team. But they haven't yet written one in. But I have someone alongside me who can help me stand any attack, who will sustain me through any persecution. It's the one who's called the paraclete, the the counsellor, the advocate. And he does it not by giving me a superpower, but reminding me of teaching me, uh, of, of helping me to get a grasp of who Jesus was, who Jesus is, what Jesus said. That's how he does it. It's incredibly simple and yet so profound. And I especially need to know that when I'm being hated, when I'm being persecuted. Or, or the worst kind of persecution that I've experienced, which is just complete indifference. <laughs> and that really hurts. No, 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 we just don't want to listen to you. <laughs> yeah. But we have this relationship because of the Holy Spirit that brings us close to Jesus. In fact, the union that we have with Jesus is so intimate in, in trying to explain this intimacy, well, let's go back to chapter 14. You, uh, Stuart will probably go crook at me because I've been given the back end of 15 to preach on, but I'm going to use 14 and 16 tonight. But if you go back to chapter 14, you'll find some really famous words. It's a very famous passage. It's famous, probably should be infamous, because we use it in the Anglican church at funeral services, if you've ever been to a funeral service in an Anglican church, you would have heard the words that are in John 14, where Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, we use it in the funeral service. We really should be using it in the wedding service because guess where this comes from? This comes from a first century wedding The pattern that they had back in the first century when someone got married was this. The father of the groom would have a room in the house that he would give to the bride and the groom. And the groom, the son of the father, would go and prepare the room for his bride. So you come along to the wedding, you get married, you have a reception, it goes for two or three days... And on that first night of your married life together, you go into a room that has been prepared by the groom. When I explained that to my wife, she said, I'm so glad we changed that tradition. You would have put the most horrible things in there. <laughs> probably right, probably right. But, but that was the tradition. 
The disciples who are listening to this conversation, they're in a, a meal with Jesus when he's talking to them. It's just them. There's 12 of his friends and Jesus. They know exactly what he's talking about when he talks about my father's house preparing a room. He's talking about intimacy. He's talking about a husband and a wife on the first night of their marriage. He's talking about a relationship that is as deep and strong and, and profound as marriage. And he's saying, that's you and me. That's how close we are. The best illustration for a Christian with Jesus is marriage. In fact, Paul picks it up later on when he's writing to the churches and he describes the church as the bride of Christ. He, he describes us uh, as being the one who is waiting for the groom to come. And if you go right through to the end of Revelation, you'll see the great image right at the end of the book, the great, the, the great vision that John has is of the bride coming. Wow. You see, we're drawn into that intimacy and that relationship. We're that close to him. He loves us that much. Marriage is the best illustration. And I, 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 um, I put this in to test, especially the people at five o'clock, because I know a lot of them personally, and I was at some of their weddings. I was going to actually get them up and test them. But unfortunately, Craig Taylor was away, and so I couldn't, I couldn't get him out the front. Otherwise, he would have been, I can tell you. And I would ask him, to recite the vows that he made on his wedding day. Let me read them to you. I, would have been Craig, in the presence of God, take you, Fiona, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, do you know this bit? For richer, for, do you know it? Yeah, poorer. Uh, in sickness and in, very good, uh, to love and to cherish, as long as we both shall live, this is my solemn vow and promise. Pretty serious words. Very serious words. Words that change your life. When, when I said then uh, to my wife, Belinda, um, 22nd of May, 4pm in the afternoon, don't be late, our lives have been changed from that moment on. And Jesus uses this illustration. He uses this metaphor. He uses this to show that that's our relationship with him. And because of that relationship, because of its intimacy and because of its significance, it changes everything. We are united to him and we will be different in the way we live, the way we behave. What we do will be different because of that relationship. Totally different. And we're going to be very different from the people who don't have that relationship. That difference often makes it hard for us to feel like we belong. It's as if we've got the wrong uniform on. It's as if we turned up and we're in the wrong place at the wrong time for the wrong reason. It feels awkward. And it can make it impossible for us to belong. The people who don't belong to Jesus... They're described as the world. I don't know whether you counted how many times the word world is mentioned in this passage, but it's there a lot. John, in his gospel, uses it a lot. He uses the phrase the world not to describe a place, but to describe a realm, a kingdom, a place of authority, a place of influence. Look at verse 19. It's really important. Have a look at it. If you belong to the world... It would love you as its own. 
as it is, you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. Again, the world is not a place. It is a system that opposes God's authority. It opposes God's rule. It rejects God's claims on you. It rejects God. Sometimes that rejection is very active. Sometimes it's just passive indifference. I don't want you. But look what happens. Look how it's described by Jesus. These are Jesus' words. Look at verse 18, verses 23 and 24. The world hates God. Strong words, but it's describing by way of contrast the way that God feels about the world. In the first half of this chapter, the word love is in there at least nine times. In the back end of this chapter, the word hate is in there about nine times. Jesus wants them to see in black and white, in stark contrast, that the world's attitude towards God and uh, God's only son is, is really hatred, indifference and rejection. And yet at the same time, God's attitude towards the world, well, that's back in chapter 3 of John. Chapter 3, verse 16, a great memory verse if you want to memorise a good verse. And you know what it says? For God so loved the world, there it is again, that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Clearly, if we say we follow Jesus, we can't oppose him, reject him, ignore him. Can you imagine a marriage where that happens? Where a husband and a wife oppose each other, reject each other and ignore each other? It, It ends in divorce. That's what happens. Separation is the only way to survive. But Jesus wants us to stay in relationship with him. And we belong to him. We've been taken out of the world by him and placed in his kingdom. Paul, when he wrote to a church in Turkey, which was just kicking off, just starting, he wanted to encourage them and to remind them of what was really happening, the the, the truth of the transformation that had taken place. He put in these words to the church in Colossae. He said, God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Look at chapter 15, verse 19. I've chosen you out of the world, out of that kingdom of darkness, and I've taken you into the light. And yet, quite obviously, we still live in the world. It's great to have this spiritual idea that, yeah, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm an alien on earth. But look where we live. We're still here. Now, during uh, the course of history, different people have done different things to handle this. As some have become hermits and lived in caves, literally. And you can go on holidays to those remote desert locations and see way up in the cliff tops uh, caves where hermits lived uh, so that they could remain pious and holy and not a part of this world. Um, in other places, they've created communities that have isolated themselves from the rest of the world so that they could stay pure or not be tainted. And uh, we lived in Belgium for a few years and in Bruges, in Antwerp, in Ghent, 
uh, in all those places, there are communities that are completely isolated. They, they take vows of silence. They will not talk to anybody in the world. And what they've become is a little bit of a, uh, a curio, something for tourists to go and take photos of, which is what most people do. You'd go around in the canal in Bruges and take photos of these weird people living in the middle of the city. Don't talk to anyone. God makes us different, but he expects us to be in the world. And he gives us a commission. He asks us to be here, uh, to wear his uniform, as it were. You won't feel like you belong, but you, you, you are still here for him. As Paul says to the church in Corinth, as his ambassadors, you are ambassadors of Christ. You represent him. As he says to the church again in Colossae, you're God's chosen people. You are holy. You are dearly loved. And so here is what you are to do. You are to clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You are to live differently. Now, I want to challenge you. If you're going to university this week or to work this week, live like this and see if you're the same as everybody else. Compassionate and kind, humble and gentle and patient. That will mark you out as being different. And I don't mean I was patient while I was waiting on Pimble Station to get in carriage number four and get to the seat before anybody else did. Tick. I was patient. No, 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 no. no. I mean actually all the way through the journey, all the way through the office, all the way through the day. Try and do that. You'll be different. You will be different. You'll stand out differently. We're called on to care for people, to provide for their welfare. That'll make us different. We're called on to show mercy and justice. Jesus says, I actually want you to be salt and light in the world. Now, salt in his time was something that would preserve things. You you put salt into meat to keep it from going off. Our role then is to be preservatives. But I want to ask you this. Of all the nice things that you see on uh, My Kitchen Rules or MasterChef, Have you ever seen anyone put the salt down and people go, wow, that looks fantastic? It's not attractive. It does good, but it doesn't look good. And and lots of doctors will tell you, salt, it just doesn't belong. At least that's what they tell me at my age. And light? Here's the thing with lights that I've noticed. I checked this with my wife. You know what? She never, ever notices lights. My wife, Belinda, is five foot and a half inch tall. I don't know what that is in metric. I've never been game to work it out because the number is a very low one. She's very little. Have you ever seen her drive? She's a bit like that. Oh, yeah. yeah I know. They're, they're old jokes, doing the washing, washing your clothes. Um, she's small. She, she's, and, and, and why am I telling you that? Because when we live in this world, we're going to be different. We're going to be marked out as being different. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. We will be hated. Living according to what God has said will be hard. So what do you do with this? Like I said, I've never heard anybody say, being a disciple of Jesus is going to be really hard. You're going to get persecuted. You'll probably get killed. You'll be kicked out of things. So come to Jesus. Come down the front now and give your life. I've never, ever, ever heard that. 
I have heard people say, come to Jesus, you'll get forgiveness, you'll get love, you'll get mercy, you'll be included in this fantastic family here, and you'll get eternal life. And if you do it tonight, we'll give you a set of steak knives as well. No, I didn't hear that, but I just put it on the end because I don't like that. It's not reality. It's not what Jesus does. Jesus gives chapter 15 the first half and then chapter 15 the second half. Yes, you'll be loved and included, but you'll be hated because of me. It's really hard to swim against the tide. So what do I take from this passage? Here's a couple of things that I found really helpful. I hope they help you. Firstly, Jesus is realistic about this and there's nothing in his message which gives you that fake marketing kind of slick spin. He says right from the get-go, verse 18, if they hate you, remember they hated me. Remember that. When you're being persecuted, just remember they persecuted me. It really helps me to know the reason I'm being hated, rejected, ignored, treated like an idiot is because of Jesus, because of our relationship, that intimacy. Well, you know what? I love him more than I love them, so I'm going to stick with him. I find that really encouraging that he said at the get-go, right at the outset, it's going to be hard, Chris. Verse 20, they persecuted me. Look what it says. They'll leave you alone. No, it doesn't say that. It says they persecuted me. They will persecute you. Persecute you. It's really challenging, but this is normal. As Tom said at the beginning, very honestly, he doesn't get much persecution. Maybe it's because he doesn't stand out that much. I'm not sure. I I think we've been blessed by God. He only puts before us those things we can cope with. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses... 12 and 13. So he's protecting us. But you know what? Right now, around the world, we have brothers and sisters who are not being, are not enjoying the life we have. You've heard about Sri Lanka. We've heard about China. But what about other places like France? I've got a slide. I don't know whether the people on PowerPoint... There. See all those dots? They're all different colours. The different colours represent different events. But through Belgium and France and part of Italy, the, these dots represent where churches have been attacked in the last year. Either burnt down or some sort of um, uh, graffiti, some sort of vandalism, a robbery, or where people have been attacked in France, Belgium, in the last year because they're Christians. This is happening now in the West. This is the sort of thing that used to just happen in those other places like in Africa or Sudan or you know, the Middle East. And they did happen there, but now they're happening closer to us. So I am so thankful that Jesus gave me these words and said, they will attack you. It's because of me. It's because of me. When we live by his teaching and by his words, we will get attacked. We've seen it here in Australia, Um, even in this region. Last year when schools decided that they wanted to take a stand about what God had said about marriage and about relationships, about gender and identity, it was a very subtle message. But even just hinting at it ended up in a protest march against the church, against the schools in this area. Because of Jesus. So what do you do? 
Well, I want you to flick forward to chapter 16. Now, I know Stuart only gave me chapter 15. But John, when he wrote this, didn't put the numbers in. Somebody else did that. So I'm going to grab chapter 16, verse 1, because I think it's, it's actually part of chapter 15, or part of this conversation. Look what Jesus says. All this I've told you, so you won't fall away. All this I've told you, so that our marriage, that intimacy, that connection, won't break apart. I've told you all of this, so you know the full picture. I want you to know the full picture. I want you to know the full picture. I want you, as you go into this week... I want you to know that when we face ridicule or opposition, persecution or hatred, if it's because we obey Jesus and we live by his word, what a privilege that is. Because what it says is we are not falling away. We've stuck with him. That I find really encouraging. And not only do I know it's going to happen, the second thing that encourages me is Jesus says he's going to hang on to me. He's going to keep me. He'll be there for me. He'll, he'll stay with me for forever. He's promised to. Now, often the attacks that are going to come, he says, will even come from inside the church. And I've seen, we've seen that happen. If you go to Oxford today, in the road outside or just near St. Mary the Virgin Church, there is a cross in the road. It marks the place where the church burnt to death men who loved Jesus and would not compromise on what he said. Uh, the three men who died there, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, Thomas Cranmer, they were burned at the stake by the church. In America, last year and the year before, the Episcopalian church said that it's okay to ignore God's word in various places, particularly around leadership and particularly around the issue of sexuality. It's, it's okay, ignore it. This was written 2,000 years ago. What would these people know? Well, some of the people in the church said, no, this is God's word. I'm not going to ignore his commands. I'm not going to ignore his words. The paraclete is standing beside me, reminding me of what Jesus said. And what he said is clear in the scriptures. Let's live by that. And you know what the Episcopalian church did to these people? our brothers and sisters, they changed the locks on the doors and said you can't use the buildings. They changed the locks on their homes and said you can't get in. We, we'll take that property as ours. And they put all their personal belongings on the lawn and kicked them out. And then what they did was they said we're going to sell the property. And what they did was they said, the church said, we'll buy it from you. We'll, we'll get the money together somehow. We'll buy it off you. And they offered, forget the numbers, but they offered $500,000 for it. But you know what the church did? The Episcopalian church in America sold it to the, uh, a mosque for $200,000. Is that not hatred and bitterness? That's what it is. But Jesus says, I know. Look what they did to me. I was a Jewish man raised in Judaism. I know the law. And when I explained the law to the leaders of the Jewish faith in my day they arrested me they handed me over to the Romans there was a kangaroo court total injustice and they arranged to kill me on a cross it's okay that had to happen they put me in a grave and a couple of days later 
I was out again. And I'm going to do that for you. Stick with me. Do not fall away. Do not stumble. Stay with me. It's going to be tough. It's going to be rocky. It's going to be hard. But stay with me. Wow, I hope that encourages you. Now, the real test of this, and whether it's encouraged you, is I reckon by about Wednesday, if you've remembered this, if you've been able to stand up, because if you feel any persecution, I hope the Spirit beside you will whisper into your ear and remind you of what Jesus has said, even from this passage. Wouldn't that be great? Because it's coming. It's already here. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us. Thank you for being honest with us. The truth. Please use this truth to set us free. Set us free from the anxiety of fear and the anxiety of wanting to belong to this world and instead hold us. Hold us in that relationship, that intimate connection with your son Jesus. And pray, Father, by your spirit, help us to stand and not fall. Amen.